Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors makes the best acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors. And you can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes amazing coffee. And you can head over to their website at fulcrumcoffee.com and check out their subscriptions. They have an amazing variety that you could choose from and have coffee delivered to your house every month. Everything from light growth subscription to espresso to all brands, single origin. They even have a sunset subscription, a jazz alley night subscription. It's a really cool curated coffee experience that can be delivered to your door. And you can get a discount by adding the code Alfred Studio whenever you check out from the website. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters from Seattle. Check them out. Anne Lamb is a Dallas, Texas-based sculptor who received her BFA from the University of North Texas and later completed a Master's of Fine Arts degree at Arizona State University. She's had solo and two-person exhibits at Hashimoto Contemporary, Anya Tisch, the ICA Boston, the Whole Gallery, Black Book in Denver, amongst others. Her work has been covered in juxtapose, Beautiful Bazaar, Colossal, Texas Monthly, The Dallas Observer, Boom, High Fructose, and many more. I spoke with Dan about Texas roots, embracing duality, materiality, and much more. Here's our conversation. But, um, but yeah, so when I was looking into you and your work um you know i saw like you have a you can find your work online there's some artists who are maybe not as deft as you know at at getting their work out there in on the internet or whatever but so it was but it's funny because not until i did a deep dive did i i didn't know where you went to school or you know where your upbringing was it was mostly stuff about like the here and now Mm -hmm. so i'm excited to hear about your backstory and where you grew up. Yeah, well, I'm excited to share. Where'd you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I uh, I grew up in Texas predominantly. Um, uh, childhood was in Houston, and then my mom and I moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area when I was like in middle school. Right. But I, when I did the deep dive, it said that you were born in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. So I want to go all the way back. Okay, so all the way back <laughs> to the beginning. Okay. Um, yeah, so my parents are Vietnamese, were Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Um, they were refugees from Vietnam. Um, and I think they escaped in 1987. And then they bounced around a bunch of different refugee camps like Malaysia. And then they ended up in the Philippines where then they had me in 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I think it was the same year that we we made our way to Houston, where my dad already had family. Um, I was just a baby, so I don't have any memories of it, but I'm pretty sure that's the storyline. Sometimes I ask my mom about it, and it, it seems to be a little bit different every time. So, 
<laughs> that's <laughs> that's just memory. I feel yeah. like as we get older, it all gets a little abstract. Yeah, for you know sure. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, so your your first memories are Texas, basically, mm-hmm. which yeah. is specific. Texas is a specific place. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's not um, that I've spent a ton of time there. I've only been through and stopped places, but mm-hmm. um, it's definitely vibrant these days. Yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot. I feel like since I was like in high school, um, it, it's it's funny because I remember being in high school and seeing a lot of license plates, and they're always it always it was just Texas, Texas, Texas. And anytime yeah. you go to another state, you would see like a huge variety of license plates, but yeah. now. I just noticed like last week I was driving and I was like, oh my God, there's like Georgia and Tennessee and people from all over now. Um, So it's really different, but it's always been pretty diverse, like relatively. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you know, being close to the border, I think. Mm -hmm. I noticed when we drove there, like I used to play music and we toured and when we drove through Texas, we ended up going south by the border and, you know, when you play in those places or be around, there, like, you know, there's a diversity to being it's this sort of transient nature of the border. And, you know, but it seems like the recent influx is really people from like California, like mm-hmm. people moving there just to get out of whatever, you know, a lot of post-COVID people just wanting to move. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm sure that, yeah, that there's a diversity there that, you know, there's the ideas of Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, that it's, it's a very Southern kind of place, but it seems more diverse than it ever has been, right? I think so. And I think there's this big dialogue, I think, around, you know, like, I'm an artist, I'm around other artists, and we live in Texas. And um, I think it's a lot like some of the other states where the cities are, are blue, and like Austin, Dallas, Houston, um, they're pretty blue and definitely yeah. Austin. Uh, and then it's the surrounding like smaller towns and stuff that are very red. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, for me, I would love to live around all liberal people, you know, that would be great. But yeah. there's something about having different points of views and hopefully sharing or just being around something different and then hoping that through that difference, you know, there's a connection. Um, because I find that sometimes it's really easy to just be like, we don't agree and we just disagree and then end of dialogue, end of, of course, discourse. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I meet all kinds of people and I feel like no matter political, religious, whatever differences, like there is, there's, you're able to make connections, um, like yeah. genuine connections with people outside of those things. Yeah, that sort of like, you know, dividing black or white issue you know, left or right or whatever has gotten to do this problem anyway. And hopefully one would think that the more, you know, because I know a lot of people post COVID have moved out of the city mm-hmm. into areas which were maybe less, you know, artistic or liberal or whatever, mm-hmm. that that movement helps sort of like, you know, add to the dialogue of voices around the country or whatever. Definitely. But, um, so growing up, were you always, you know, most kids draw, were you creative from from the start, playing with stuff and drawing and doing all that? Definitely, yeah. Um, I'm an only child, so and my mom worked all the time. Uh, so I think a lot time. of. I'm sorry. <laughs> you had you time. Yes, a lot, yeah. and a lot of it, and I think that actually is like what primes me for my studio practice now. I think about it all the time. Um, but yeah, I was super creative, always making things, always drawing. My mom is very creative too, so I think I picked up 
a lot of that from her, just like watching her do like make stuff and then just being so interested in what she was doing. Um, and then, yeah, like spending a lot of time alone, just entertaining myself. I watched a lot of TV. I read a lot of books. Um, yeah, it was fun. What was your, what was the, the T I was just talking about this to someone when I was a kid, there was a show called Fraggle Rock and it was like a Jim Henson Muppet thing. And I think it was on HBO, but it, it was like once a week and you had to like, you were so excited by the time 7.30 came around to watch this thing, you know, but, but I remember it was such a creative, you know, exciting kind of show. Did you have any like shows that just really got you going? Yeah. Uh, so Nickelodeon was huge when I was a kid. Um, and I don't remember if it was like a block of, of cartoons, but it was like, Hey Arnold, all real monsters, mm -hmm. Rugrats, you know, like all of those, those cartoons, yeah. um, Rocco's Modern Life, that kind of stuff. And, uh, I was obsessed and there's, I, you know, when I do interviews and stuff, it makes me think back to those moments and, and there's always these, always these connections between visuals as a kid and then like the things I'm making now and it's it's totally. not intentional you know I'm not like thinking about those things in making but it's like it like throws me back um and then I think about like a lot of people who are my age in my generation what that is like the attraction to that aesthetic we all grew up with that so I think that's why my work speaks to like a, a large chunk of people now I think that's that's right on it's funny because you know I I used to in my in my work people used to think like oh you must like comic books you know because it's kind of flat and graphic and um and I was like no I never really got into comic books but I realized I spent a really you know obscene amount of time watching Bugs Bunny cartoons mm. and like that aesthetic I love the look of that like it, I don't know it was just what I connected to as a kid you know what I mean that kind of like visual mm -hmm. and I can totally see a relationship it's not like it's a conscious choice or whatever right. but I think you whether it's music or like skateboarding was like that for me too like skate decks had a certain graphic sensibility like mark gonzalez decks were huge for me and they were like these sort of flat bold colors and 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 it kind of like i think it becomes an unconscious like visual memory bank that you go to you know what i mean or yeah. that you're excited by because i think as artists we tend to get excited about the things as a kid that got us excited right mm -hmm. and we're always trying to chase that in a way yeah Absolutely. But yeah, you're, I could see your colors being inspired by some of those cartoons that have that, you know, this sort of like upbeat, mm -hmm. bright visual play to it. Yeah, and there's also stuff like Lisa Frank, you like the toys of that time. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know that. It's funny because I, like I told you, I was, before I was, I teach and I remember in a critique like 10 years ago, someone brought up Lisa Frank and I was like, I have no idea what that is I thought it was an artist and everyone was appalled that I didn't know what Lisa <laughs> Frank was and then I told them about Trapper Keepers uh -huh. oh it sounds like Trapper Keepers that was my thing uh -huh. and they were just like what Trapper <laughs> Keeper it was uh, you know um, <laughs> we kind of missed each other but yeah. yeah Lisa Frank was you know that's maximalist right mm -hmm. it was like horror vacui like everything's covered with like, yeah. you know glitter stars and pink rainbows and yeah rainbow yeah yeah, yeah. Just unicorns and you know um, so that was a big thing growing up. Definitely. Uh, yeah. I remember just cherishing my like Lisa Frank folder, you know, like at the beginning of every school year you go and 
you go back to school shopping and um, that was like the splurge. You know, I would get like something Lisa right. Frank. Uh, and uh, I would just, I remember sitting in class and just looking, just looking at the folder or yeah. the binder or whatever it was all the time and just looking at the colors and the stickers and I don't know. It's so, it's so strong. Like the memories of that. Yeah. No, it got you. I don't know if it was the same for you, but like that new folder, a new pair of shoes or something would get you through the first couple months <laughs> <Yeah>. of school. <laughs> yeah. Normally it was like hell, you know, it uh-huh. was so much unconscious stress, you know what I mean? Of like socially yeah. and in the school. And yeah, that would be the sort of like shining light. Mm-hmm. Like if you got something new and you could bring it in, that was amazing. Yeah. Did you have a good art teacher along the way in school at any point? I did. I did. I don't think I remember many from, it was mostly, I think, high school, having teachers yeah. that could, like, that were really encouraging. Um, and it's interesting because all the way into college, when I started college, I started out in graphic design, and it was not, I have huge respect for graphic design and graphic designers but it was just not for me it didn't it didn't fit i couldn't do it it was really really tough because i think i had come to use art as a form of self-expression and while i think you can do that through graphic design you know the class the class structure the academic structure was catered to clients because that's what the real world real world is like um and so i just had this really hard time like meshing the two um, but I was taking like figure drawing classes and life drawing and all that. And my professors in those classes kept telling me like, you have to switch to fine arts. You have to switch to, to visual arts. And, um, well, that's was, nice of them. I know. Yeah. And at the time that's, too, I feel like that might be rare. <laughs> so that's the thing is I, I remember hearing them and like, you know, feeling my gut say like switch, you should do it. And I did it. And I, I also, I, there were moments where I was like, maybe they were just being nice and like, you know, just, just encouraging, but just being nice. And then when I got to grad school, I taught uh, a couple color theory classes. And once I was on that flip side, I realized, oh, wow, it is, you don't just say that to any student anytime. Like you, that, that is something that's rare that, that you would uh, basically call someone out and say like, Hey, you should be doing this. Like, yeah. So anyway, I really appreciate that they noticed and yeah, that probably helped you out a lot, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there's the the tactical side of a lot of... I mean, there's so many people I've talked to who, like, start out in illustration or graphic mm-hmm. design or something that's, like, an employable skill. Yes. And I imagine those professors are like... I think a graphic design professor is there and they try to get you to understand better how to work with, you know, like you said, like a client or a certain objective. And, you know, art professors, it's more like... It's such a weird teaching environment because you're like in someone's brain trying to like figure out what they're trying to say and how to get them to get closer to that Mm -hmm. and um it's not just like you know formulaic or just oh just try to do this it's like a deep dive into someone's you know their whole person really Mm -hmm. and what they're trying to get out there but that professor must have seen that you had something that to express that wasn't going to be you know, packaged in, you know, an InDesign file. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when you were taking those classes, you know, the figure drawing or whatever or painting or whatever classes you were taking, sculpting, were you, you know, did, did, did you feel the itch when you were in those classes? Like, oh, this feels better. This yeah. is good. Definitely. It was, 
it was like night and day. Like I, I looked forward to those classes and those projects and, you know, thinking in that way. And then the stress all came from the graphic design side of it. Um, right. Yeah. And then, you know, after my first year, I was, I, I had to make the call and say like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. And that was a point of contention with my mom. Cause I was that, say, how yeah. did that go over with parents? <laughs> yeah, so, be an artist. <laughs> not the best. Um, Cause it was, that was why we, I compromised and went into graphic design was cause my mom, you know, she was like, you need to do something that is employable, potentially employable. Um, but you know, I just told her, I was like, I can't, this is what's right for me and I can't not do it. Um, so we definitely like thought about it. Uh, and it was hard, but I made the right call and now she's proud. Yeah. So. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, the, this, the story of, um, you know, immigration and the fight for like creating a better opportunity and the pressure that that puts on, you know, those kids whose parents are like, look, you know, this wasn't easy to get here. Mm -hmm. So you're not just going to dilly dally or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But there, I would think nowadays, ideally, that there's more people out there achieving and in the public realm, like there, there is more representation to where you can feel like, oh, doing something creative isn't just like, you know, like sticking it to your parents and being like, I don't care what you did for me sort of thing. It's mm -hmm. like a valid thing to do, a valid pursuit that other people have done and, you know, created opportunities for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think too, like, ultimately, I mean, now that I'm at an age where, like when I, my mom had me when she was 26 and when I turned 26, it was this moment of like, wow, like how much she had gone through by the time I was that age by the time she was that age, I could relate and relate in that I hadn't gone through any of the things she had and how tough right. and hard and like, it, I mean, life and death, you know, like it, it was, it seems intense. And then, and then she had me. So I understand where all of it came from, the toughness, the, the desire for me to do well in school, to make money, to have, to make a living and all this stuff. But I think now it's, you want you definitely want your kids to do that to have all those things but then there's this other element of like well maybe they should also be happy and like enjoy their lives yeah. in a way that isn't just dictated by their jobs yeah i think that's it's cultural too in a way i mean i you know i have a son in high school and i tell him my theory on it is just like do what you want to do just mm -hmm. work hard at it you know what I mean? Because you'll be happier working hard at something, even if you're not loaded or doing extremely well, than if you're working like some job you hate and you're doing financially great. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult thing. Do you, was that around the age you feel like you actually started to be like, oh, wow. Like, you know how, you, like, I appreciate what my parents did. I'm just asking for a friend because I want to know when that's coming for me. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it did take a long time. It really did. For me, I think it had to do with, um, so I moved away for grad school. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Arizona State. And I think that's when it happened for me. So I was like in my early, mid-20s. Um, yeah. And then it was like, it. I think when I did that, that was my choice. Fully 100% my choice to move away, to go to to grad school and then it was my choice to come back to Texas so in that having that that freedom to choose 
um, then I could start to see like my relationship with my mom started to shift, I think, to become something that I could see her as like her own person, you know, and like from that perspective. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about geography here. So you went to undergrad in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Which school was it? University of North Texas. North Texas. Yeah. There are so many schools in Texas. There's a lot. <laughs> With the name Texas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, what, and you mentioned you were taking, well, didn't you, I feel like I heard you say that in a previous interview, there was something that you were a painting major. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. So undergrad and grad were painting and drawing. When it was it that you felt like you wanted to break off the grid, like out into space, like you got tired of, not tired of painting, but you wanted to explode painting out in three dimensions. Was that in grad school? That was actually an undergrad. Um, oh, it was. Okay. It started in undergrad, and then once I got to grad school, I really, really wanted to explore sculpture. Um, but because of my degree, like the area of focus I was in, I felt not constraints, but I was like, let me continue exploring what this would look like on the wall. And then after I graduated was when I fully like went into sculpture. Right, and um, not to so so we'll get into school, but as a parallel. Um, was there, I'm curious as to what the, uh, because you talked about TV and and reading and stuff, but what was the music situation like growing up? Were you into oh. it? Was it in the house? Was there stuff that you liked over other stuff? What was your engagement with music? So music, I don't remember if there being much music in the house, like from my mom. We, I, I, I mean, I've heard like, there's like Vietnamese music. Um, she didn't play that very much. I feel like my music journey was sort of self, uh, self-discovered self in yeah. that I know that a lot of kids, you know, like they grow up listening to like classic rock and stuff because their parents listen to classic rock, but I didn't really have that influence. But what did happen is um, I have family in Hawaii and I would go there like every few summers, I would go there and stay there for like a month or so. And when I was about, I think when I was around... 14, um, I stayed with my aunt and my uncle, who's like my step uncle. And he had, he had a son, he has a son who had left for college. So I was saying his, in his son's room and his son had these Beatles anthology CDs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being bored and it's the summer, like I just, I picked through all of it and I started listening and I was blown away. It just, I, it was like, it became an, an obsession. Like, I could not get enough of the Beatles, and I just went through their whole thing, like all of it, all of their discography. Because um, you hadn't grown up with it. No. It just kind of hit you at yes. once. Yeah. That's a nice find. I know. Yeah. yeah, and I think back to it, and I was like, it, the, how organic it was and how yeah. it wasn't, like, not pushed onto me, but yeah, the discovery of it. There, there was something about that. Um, so anyway, I listened to that, and then it led me down this rabbit hole of, like, then I, I started looking into, well, who did the Beatles influence, which was like so much, you know, and then Everyone. I found yeah, everybody <laughs> um, and then I found all the different like genres that had come after uh, I got into Nirvana for like a really long time, sure. um, you know, and so there was all that. Uh, but I mean, my first CD, I think, was like Spice Girls when I was probably like 11 or 12 Destiny's Child TLC. Yeah. Um, I remember getting my first Eminem album, which was like, because it had the parental advisory on it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, 
so there was like that pop culture side like the pop music side and then there was like this other sort of just like self-discovery of music and then in high school I had a great group of friends who like we just we you know it was a time where you were like burning cds it's like cassettes right oh, like yeah. you were like recording stuff that you would hear on the radio and you'd like share it or like Napster, you know, you'd find music and then you'd like put it on a CD and share it with each other. Um, so that was a really fertile, like musical time. Um, and of course, all of that, to, I think it was like mostly indie rock, like The Strokes, Interpol, right. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where you find it, you know, because you didn't, if you don't have mom and dad, you know, breathing down your musical <laughs> neck, like some people do, where you get exposed to something like on rotation all the time. Mm-hmm then a lot of times it's your sibling, like your older sibling Mm -hmm. will introduce Mm -hmm. or the older siblings, the one who's got to find it through friends and give it to the younger sibling. But if you're only child and your parents aren't listening to that stuff, you know what I mean? You have to forge it through friends or just by finding. Yeah. Um, I don't know that much about Vietnamese music, but I do know that there's an amazing period of like psych rock from Vietnam. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard those compilations. I have not. They're really cool. It's, It's just like kind of like psych rock from like the late 70s okay if i'm not mistaken but i remember i mean i was a jazz dj in school but sometimes like i would get like world music stuff from the station and you know i've i'm i love music from all over but yeah the vietnamese psych rock stuff was really interesting Hmm. kind of like funky and and cool a little more spacey than some of the regular spice or um the regular psych rock stuff that was coming out of the states okay i'll check it out that's cool yeah yeah it's um so, in the con- connection to Hawaii, what part of Hawaii did you stay in? Um, so, they live in Oahu. Uh, sure. Honolulu. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, is there a better... I'm, I, this, <laughs> Hawaii has, like, a family history for me, you know, oh. and, and going there is just... It's the best. Yeah. Although I mean... it's been a while. It's paradise. Literally. It, I could do... I joke that I could do anything. I could just be a garbage man there and be so happy. Yeah. Like, the air and, like, yes. the... I mean, it's just, there's something really great about it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we often go to Honolulu and then do the North Shore mm-hmm. because of like the quiet, you get the balance of yes. like, you know, the stores, the touristy stuff or whatever on the South and then North to the peace. And quiet. Although now I guess it's a lot more touristy up there too, but there's something beautiful about like circling the island and mm. the different, like the weather changes. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, it's great. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I'm w- right there with you. And it's, Oahu's my favorite island. Um, because of that, because you get all the things. Yeah. And I mean, the food is amazing. Like the sushi, really the seafood is. is so good. And I love that there is, there's a huge culture, it's America, but there's a huge cultural difference. You know, yeah. the like the Hawaiian people, there's, they have their own culture. And then you have a lot of like tourists from Asia. And so you're just exposed to a lot of different like languages and um, just people. And it's, it's so cool. Yeah. It's just, and it's cool because the, the fusion-y element of, like if you want to talk about cuisine or just like the 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 mingling of people like you were saying it's it's such a nice thing it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a uh i feel like that doesn't happen when you go to asia you know what i mean like it it's just much more like interwoven you know and i and living in a japanese household when we go to japan when we you know it was like 24 years ago when i first went or whatever it was great because i mean at that point it was a little, maybe a little more Japanese mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's mm-hmm. it's gotten even more diverse as far as the Asian element there but mm-hmm. it was like you could go in a store and get like spam and then you can get like you know your favorite Japanese drink mm-hmm. or like you could go get ramen but you could get like potato chip it was just a, a very 
you know, yeah. I don't know. There was something great about it. For sure. But yeah. It, it has been a little bit. Do you ever think that you might retire in Hawaii? I have this fantasy of like retiring <laughs> there and having a studio and, and just breathing that air every mm-hmm. day would be amazing. Yeah, I would love to. I, I, we were just there last year that we did a family reunion. And, um, one of the things though, that's, that's tough about it is I know that like the house, like the housing stuff is really tough there and it, yeah. for, for like the local people. So like right. the, the native Hawaiians can't afford the homes there. So, so I would love to, but there's some like, for me, I have some, I don't know if I, Ethical I restrictions. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That side of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not as ingrained into the culture, but you know that that's it. It's like the gentrification of the island or mm-hmm. something, but I mean, it's just so nice. <laughs> I just want to live there. <laughs> I know. Maybe like, maybe, yeah. I. Well, and you know what's cool too? Like, if you, have you been to Kauai? No, I've, I've actually only been to Oahu. Wow. Okay. Um, I mean, all the islands are great. I haven't been to the big island, but oh, Kauai is like very small town. It feels like you are, it's very slow and like the tempo is different. Um and I think for retirement, like that would be really cool to live on an island like Kauai. But in that, because it feels small town, then it feels even more of that like ethical dilemma of like. That's what I've heard. Like yeah. when you go out mm-hmm. into quieter areas, it's like, wait, what are you doing? Like in Oahu, it's touristy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you mm-hmm. wouldn't feel quite as impinging, you know. And plus, I like the balance of city and nature there, which is kind of nice. Me too. But yeah, no, I won't do it. But it's a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I mean, so, I kind of wished I had gone. I thought about like, well, what if I went to college in, in Hawaii? But I I would have not been as focused, I think. I think I would have oh, just yeah. been surfing every day. And how, Yeah. How could you be in the studio all day? when it's Unless it's just so, so beautiful all the time that you're like, well, you know, mm. like I always ask people who go to art school in New York City. It's like, how can you focus? Mm-hmm. Like you have everything right outside, you know. But then I lived here for, you know, 23 years. So I think at a certain point you just know it's there and you're mm-hmm. fine with it and you just go do your thing. So yeah. maybe that's what it's like if you live there. Yeah. Like, ah, you know, surfing. Yeah. Whatever. The ocean, whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you kind of don't want it to ever get to that point. Mm-hmm. You want to always like sort of, yeah, I guess that's why vacations are nice. Mm-hmm. You get a little taste of it and then you go back to your day to day. So, um, well, when you were applying to graduate school yeah. a how did you choose arizona and b what were you making in that time and how did it change in grad school so i applied to arizona mainly because i just wanted different scenery i i knew i didn't want to I, I mean i could not afford um like you know like a school up north like um an art like a, an art school i couldn't yeah. i couldn't afford that so i looked at like state schools like universities, public schools. Um, and I only applied to a few. So I applied to like New, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, UT and in, in Austin. Um, and I think I got into a couple, not UT, but I got into a couple like over on the Southwest. Um, and then it was just kind of like, well, do I do this? Do I, cause I had, I had pretty much graduated. I had like a semester in between undergrad and grad school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, they wait in between. Um, And there's different reasons why people wait. But I was just like, why not? Like, why not go for it? 
And the same professor who had told me to switch to visual arts, I reached out to her and I asked her, I was like, should I do this? And she was like, oh, absolutely. Like, just go for it. Um, she said, by the time you graduate, you know, there'll be like tenured professors who are like retiring. So there'll be opportunities for you to find, you know, something a little more permanent, hopefully maybe add, you know, obviously like adjunct a few years and all that stuff. But, um, so with her encouragement again, I, I did it. Um, but yeah, Arizona was just, it was kind of like a, it was kind of a whim to apply out there. I just wanted something different than Texas and at least Dallas, Fort Worth, like North Texas. Um, and, and I'm so glad I did it because I got into like, I got into hiking when I moved out there. Um, and like, I didn't realize how important nature was to me. Um, so I really connected with like that side. Um, and then your other question was, Oh my gosh. What was my other question? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So like, what were you doing in undergrad versus like, how oh, yeah. did the work shift I mean, it's not a huge climate difference, right? Mm -hmm. Wait, where's the university in Arizona? Where? Uh, it's in Phoenix, a Tempe, but it's like next to Phoenix. It's next, to, yeah. Because yeah. I was, I had a show at the Phoenix Art Museum. Oh, cool! And I think I spoke at that school. Like mm. I did, like a visiting thing for an hour. But all I can remember is, man, was it hot! <laughs> it's <laughs> like, yeah, really hot. Yeah, like like you have to walk in the shade, hot. Yep. Yep. And everyone's like, oh, it's a dry heat, but like, yeah, it's a dry heat, but it is hot out here. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was, you felt alive. Yeah. No, it definitely reminds you that you're there. Um, it's like the cold winters of, uh -huh. you know, the Northeast. It's yeah. like you, you, you're alive. Mm -hmm. You feel it, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Um, so my work, I think, I mean, my work was still very much like it was, it was on panels. It was on the surface. It was becoming more three-dimensional in that there was a lot of texture and it was more tactile. Um, that's the work I applied to grad school with. And then when I got to grad school, I had researched the work of Linda Banglis and I was you know, just obsessed with her work, so beautiful. Um, but I found that she was using this material, polyurethane foam. And <clears throat> some of my favorite works by her were these like giant pores she had done with this material. And I just loved this idea of like, a material that it was like capturing a gesture it was motion and movement but frozen in time and so I was just like okay let me let me see what this what, what's up with this material I want to play around with it so I got I got some and um, it, it's it's such an interesting material it's a two-part liquid you mix it together and there's a chemical reaction it starts to expand and so within all of that there's like these parameters of like well if it's really humid, it's gonna do some funky stuff. If you mix it too long, it's gonna to start to freeze up. If you pour it too early, it's not gonna puff up right. You know, so there's all these different elements. And so it was something that I really enjoyed learning because it was it was just so different than paint. Right. Um, so that became like the basis for a lot of like my, my paintings in grad school. They became very sculptural. They were really thick and like, like, I mean, as sculptural as I think you can get when right. with it still being on the wall. Um, and then I explored a bunch of different stuff, too, just like mix, not mixing it together all in one pot, but just like layering of materials, resins, different acrylics, different like plastics, plaster, um, all kinds of stuff. Anything I get my hands on. Um, you taught yourself all that? Mm hmm. Yeah. Like no one probably taught you how to work with that 
No. Kind of material, right? And I think but that's... some people say, like, careful, this stuff is, you know... <laughs> <laughs> no. Because if you're in the art world, you know the history of some of those materials and them being very toxic. Yeah, yeah. So you... But you people were just... You just did your thing. Yeah, so... I, I was aware of like, you know, from the websites I would get these the stuff from, it would usually have like a warning of like wear a respirator or whatever. So yeah. I would, you know, I would do that. But um, yes, I definitely am. I know that like, you know, some of the, the history of like what has happened to artists and like the toxicity of materials and all that. But uh, it was crazy because I remember when I first started working with resin, there was no YouTube tutorial. Like... <laughs> I just, I found resin and I just read the instructions and I just started messing around with it, you know? And it, it was, I think in that it's kind of like the music, right? Like it wasn't, there was no one teaching me. And so in that way, I was able to explore outside of what was supposed to be. So like, yeah. you know, like, let's say now you're taught a material and you learn like, this is how you should use it. And then you use it that way. But those, there are then not rules, but there are, it's, there's essentially a structure there. Whereas if you're just like free flowing and you're just like experimenting with something for the first time ever without anybody telling you anything, you kind of figure out like, oh, it does this if I do this. If, if I wait this long, it does this thing. If I mix this in there, you know? So I think in that way, it was very, it was good. It was good for me to learn that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, and I wonder like, you know, having a partner who came here and whose parents didn't speak English, mm -hmm. like you, you know, in growing up, you like you didn't have, um, I'm sure, like the cultural roadmap. You didn't have an older sibling. You didn't mm -hmm. have like a gilded path by any means. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's what made you so strong and made you so able to just like do, just say like I'm just going to do this shit. Like I'm not, you know, because a lot of people are like, eh, like I don't, what if I don't know? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You seem to have pretty good conviction in your explorations and what you're deciding to do. So, mm -hmm. I do think I'm sure that I, wasn't easy. No, yeah, it feels very. I think a lot of it comes from my mom and watching her resilience for sure. She is so strong, and she's very, she's very decisive, and yeah. I think that has had a big influence for sure. Like I can't. Yeah, I I, I think that's where it comes from, but. I've never had issues with making those kinds of decisions. It's it's always felt very natural and very true to, to what I want to do. Um, and I mean, even like in school, like I got a lot of kickback, like pushback from, from uh, my professors. Like it was, I think, so I think because I was, I was so drawn to these like pretty color, pretty like, rainbows and bright colors, bold neons, glitter, iridescence, like these sort of surface, surfacely pleasing materials <clears throat> and, and treatments. Um, you know, a lot of the professors, they would, they would be like, oh, like, what are you doing? This is too, I think for them, maybe it felt not high, high, not fine art enough, like not elevated enough. Or something like because I, I would hear that a lot like well it's really pretty but like you know what what are you saying like so what and I knew what I was saying but for some reason and I, even if I shared it the professors wouldn't they wouldn't accept what I was saying and so in those moments it was like well am I is it a am I not communicating communicating clearly enough B 
be, are my ideas not matching with what I'm showing? Um, or C, like, do they just not get it? And, and so I think, I think I ended up on C a lot of, of, I don't think they just understand what I was trying to get out. And I found that, especially in grad school, I had this conversation with, you know, I did a studio visit with one of my professors and, and I talked about intuition. I had listened to this interview, maybe it was a documentary, Agnes, of Agnes Martin, and yeah. she, I mean, amazing person. And the oh, way cool. she talked yeah, about yeah. her work, it was just so beautiful. And she talked about being this conduit. She was just this, she was just a vessel for whatever it was to come through her. And I mean, her paintings are so minimal and quiet and different, but I, I, there was something about that I, that I connected with, like she, her talking about intuition and working from that place, making from that place. And I shared this with that professor and he, he just shut it down. He was like, well, you're not, you're not old enough to like talk about, like to, to know that you're not seasoned enough. You haven't gone through enough to be making from this place of intuition. You need to be in the library, like, you know, picking up these books. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> like, what you're not old enough you don't have enough experience to work from intuition intuition is what you work from without any mm -hmm. other reading or and it's it's what's coming yep. that's yeah. funny yeah it's so hard like it's it's a challenge i mean i had that my grad school experience was you know a gauntlet and it's such a challenge when you're still sort of like trying to figure out your place in your work really mm -hmm. you know what i mean but but you have conviction that you know what you you're doing is what you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. But then to frame it, and then you get some person that comes in the studio who it's all about them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're yep. not they're not they don't care about you. It's about what they feel about work, yeah. which is not the way you're supposed to teach. Well, yeah. Although the one good thing is, it's like you know someone putting hurdles up as you're running around the track it's just going to make you stronger like it's a challenge yeah and it's not really helpful it slows you down but you learn how to like deal with it you know mm -hmm. what i mean with um but yeah that's it's that's annoying yeah <laughs> it's just someone coming yeah. in with their ego or you know yes. that i think when it, when i was in grad school that was mostly that like mm -hmm. a lot of the critique was you know and and not just from the faculty there there were great faculty but also visiting artists who would come in and just be like you know visiting artists would come in and just blow the place up because they didn't care they didn't have to live with the <laughs> the rubble you know yeah, what I mean? they just yeah. come in and like throw grenades in the studios and destroy your work and get on the next train and get their paycheck yeah but yeah no it sounds like you i mean you were strong enough in your conviction with the work to just say well this isn't just pretty you know mm -hmm. what i mean and yeah i've i've heard you talk about the duality in the work which mm -hmm. i think is such a strong thing you know what i mean that mm -hmm. i think is universal mm -hmm. but agnes martin if i'm not mistaken she spoke about beauty like i think she said that like all work is about beauty it's either the beauty in the world or the lack of beauty in the world mm -hmm. and like how do you argue with that right it's really kind of spot on you know mm -hmm. but then there's people who hate agnes martin which leads you to believe you know what some things aren't for everyone. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't please everyone in the right. room all the time. So you might as well just do what you want to do. Yeah. You know? So you kept on. I did. Yeah, I pushed through. And I exactly what you're saying about it makes you stronger. It does. In in those ways, you know, rather than I mean, because there's you know, there's basically two two things you could do is you could just fully accept what this person is saying and be like, Okay, I'm gonna go in that direction or you kinda 
stand your ground and say like, no, I think this is right for me and I'm going to continue down this path. And, but it did, it taught me how to defend my work better. It taught me how to speak about my work better. Um, it taught me when to take critique to heart and when not to. And I realized in those moments about what you're saying with ego, like it is very clear that some people, you know, that's where they're, they're, teaching from and it's about them and not about meeting your student halfway or whatever it is like yeah and so so then I, I was able to um you know I, I went through more professors like I, I searched for more professors who I thought maybe could connect with me better on that level of 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 where we make from and then then our our then we could move from that space into um like a, a better conversation um which then made my work better yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you got out of school, you decided to move back. I did. So when I got out of school it was 2014. Um, my partner was, he was living in Midland, Texas, which is like this town in pretty much in the middle of Texas. It's an oil town. He's from there. He was working for his dad's company. And so I was like, well, let's, you know, like instead of you just leaving and leaving your dad's company and you know, doing him that disservice. Uh, I was like, I'll move, I'll move there for a year and we'll just, we'll get things settled and then we'll move on. So in that year, which I think is, I think back and it's so crucial. Um, living in Midland was really tough. Uh, it's because it's very, it, because it is an oil town and it's small and there's not a lot else around it. It's culturally quiet. There's just not, there's not a lot going on. So in that way, I feel like I was able to kind of go inward um, and I really solidified my studio practice. I had, I had the time, I was doing like adjunct teaching at, a, at the community college there. I did, I taught art appreciation, um, but I was able, every night I was able to go to the studio and I was able to explore my work at a smaller scale because my space was different, explore my work without the, the, I guess the noise of school yeah. of academia, um, and then, and then that's when I really got on Instagram. Was I was like, well, you know, like because I don't have this community of people and peers and professors around me, why not like hop on this, this the internet, you know, and just like share it with people, and that's I mean that's when it really started. Was I I I would just make stuff and or very organically I would share it. I thought this this thing was interesting, so I shared it. I made a video, you know. I thought like this part of the process was interesting. Shared that, and there was no. It's not like what it is today. I feel like where there's a lot more pressure surrounding it, where it's like, is this right. good enough? Is this like, will this get views or likes or whatever? It's like it was just so natural to to want to share and then like excited to hear what people had to say about it yeah. um <clears throat> it wasn't a business tool yet for no most no. people right exactly now yeah. it's like you even have like the institutional side of it talking about how important it is to mm -hmm. spread your word on social media or whatever at that point it was just like hey you, you people could see your work who normally wouldn't be able to see it basically exactly you yes know? yeah and um so from that like you know i I like started growing like a small following or whatever. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh, how fun. This is like this little ticker is like a video game. It felt, it felt not, it was, it's real, but it felt not real, you know? Um, and so anyway, yeah, I just like continued sharing and all that. And then after that year, we moved back to Dallas and um, 
it was crazy because I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I was looking for jobs and I was hoping to do something like where I could, like everybody, like I wanted to be able to have a studio practice and then like, you know, work a job to pay rent and all that stuff. Mm. And I found something and it was there for a couple months. I hated it. Um, but then I had my first group show and I sold a bunch of work and then I was like, oh, well, maybe I just like live off of this for the next few months and then just see where it goes. And then it just continued like that. And I never did anything full time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a nice feeling, you know, and risky. I'm yes. sure you felt, yeah. I mean, I did that. Like my, my first job when I moved to New York city was doing windows at Macy's, like the Ooh. fabrication stuff. Cool. And I, it was hard. It was like yeah. long days. Yeah. You know, I come home, make spaghetti seemingly mm-hmm. every day and then paint until, you know, one or two in the morning and then rinse and repeat every day. Yeah. And then I got a group show and I sold a couple of pieces and I was like, well, there's rent for, mm-hmm. I'll just quit, which is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. To do, but, <laughs> yeah. but I knew yeah. that like unconsciously in that opportunity, it's like, well, maybe try to make more stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. try to, you know, catch a wave of energy on it. So, mm-hmm. That's really nice that you were able to do. And well, I don't know what what is Dallas like. Like I would hope that maybe the overhead for studio and all that stuff isn't quite as brutal as mm-hmm. you know San Francisco or New York or other places. Yeah, I mean it's 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 still I think relatively affordable, even though there yeah. are a lot of people moving here. Um, like that's I think one of my main reasons for still being here is that I have my studio now is amazing. It's great. And and I do I do I would not be able to find that in New York or San Francisco for the price I'm paying now. Yeah. Um, and, you is know, it like it, a football field. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, my studio is eighteen hundred square feet. It's nice. Um, well, and, and for sculpture. Yeah. You need you need space. Yeah. Well, for a long time before that studio, I worked out of I had a home studio and and our house is tiny. It's 1400 square feet. I saw the image of that. Yeah. It looked pretty cozy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And plus using that material, that kind of material in a domestic (laughs) setting. I know. Looks looks funny. Not funny, but it looks like, wow, that's really making it work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's crazy sometimes because I'll work on, you know, I'll be working on like a a show and I, I come back home and I'm like, I can't believe I made, I would make like an entire show here. Like that's intense, but that's, you know, that was part of like the whole making it work, like selling some work and then like paying rent and it it worked for the the time that it needed to, but I'm very glad to be, to have my own space and have it be big. And I mean, we know we can do, we can make it work with Mm -hmm. whatever we have, you know, Mm -hmm. I think in COVID for a while was like, making work out of a small garage mm-hmm. in my in-laws and I made a whole show in that garage and it was cold and it was you know not the most idea but you just have to make it work you know yeah. but that's great you have that big studio mm-hmm. until all the Hawaiians start moving to Texas and take it over <laughs> and gentrify yeah. the place <laughs> and you could swap <laughs> oh yeah I would love to I'd love to do that please <laughs> <laughs> timeshare so yeah can come stay and use um but yeah, that's great. You found, you know, your place. And then, so the group show that you had was, see, I was introduced to your work. I didn't even know that you had a pretty robust Instagram presence. Mm-hmm. Um, was the gallery stuff, did it kind of work in tandem with getting your work out in, on the internet? Or was it more internet at first? Like, how is, how is that dynamic Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I would imagine there's a push-pull between 
working with your work and like people wanting to buy it from you online and then working with galleries that's a whole different conundrum right mm -hmm. yeah it's been it has been interesting an interesting thing to navigate definitely um so i would say it worked it was pretty parallel the internet and the gallery world um because a lot of people who i work with from the gallery side they found my work through instagram um so yeah i mean and then i think also like coming from an academic background like it's it's one of those things where i didn't just I didn't know how to use Instagram as like a tool to sell my work at the time. You know, like I didn't, right. I didn't it see it that way. Pictures. Yeah, it's just yeah. like here is this my art, um, and then so then the gallery stuff came, and then I once I did more of that, then I realized like oh, like because people would reach out directly and say like hey, can I buy this from you, and and once that started happening, I realized like oh, it's it it's both. I can do both, um, but. I would say like most of the opportunities, most of the way my work has been seen is through Instagram and the show, my first group show didn't come from Instagram. It actually came from an in-person, like a, a different show, um, which was cool. Like that's, you know, that's, I think that's how it normally happened, normally happened before social media. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it was interesting too, because I remember going through these moments of like, well, who, who can I reach out to for advice about this stuff? Like, because that was not taught in school. Like it wasn't, that was not part of right. yeah. anything. Um, so I was like, I don't know who I can reach out to for advice about this. And, and then that was something I just had to like navigate. Again, you found yourself having to be the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, all the stronger for it, right? I guess. Yeah. For sure. Do you have, or, or do you, you must have people asking you how to do things now. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you ever want to, or do you teach at all? I don't teach. Um, I would, I think eventually I would like to, but I think one of the cool things about this right now is that I'm, I'm like getting the experience and then, and then I think I'll have more to teach eventually, right. you know, yeah, I, can, yeah. I can give that kind of advice that someone's looking for. Yeah, no, I think the just the fact that you were very conscious of that whole professor coming in and being like, you know, that's well, this is all pretty. So mm -hmm. what? And you're like, no, there's something that's yeah. a that could be valid too. Mm -hmm. It can be valid if you just want to make beautiful objects. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But just your mindset on that just leads me to think that you know, teaching you would be the kind of teacher who's helpful to students like when you leave like my theory is when i leave someone's studio i want them to want to make work mm -hmm. not to hang it up mm -hmm. <laughs> but i've encountered a lot of teachers in my life who when they leave the studio you're like oh god you know <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. like back in in the day like pre in a pre you know when i was in art school there wasn't a lot of distractions or like post it was just kind of like you i was like what else am i going to do mm -hmm. i'll just keep at it this mm -hmm. is what i love you know now it's probably easier to make to pivot because there's a four million things you could do in like you know yeah but um yeah i don't and your so in your work you know i was thinking a little bit in watching you use a uh a cake piping like because mm -hmm. you used and you used to work right in the mm -hmm. did you work in a bakery my first job ever was at cold stone creamery and uh i quickly graduated to cake decorating Nice. <laughs> so that's 
it's funny because early on people would ask me that all the time if like if what the influence was there and I didn't see it as a direct influence but I mean like where else would it have come from you know like yeah I like, mean I got used to using it yeah exactly I knew that as like a tool like yeah one of my first jobs was painting houses mm-hmm. and within like a week or maybe less than that they put me on the detailing and like the interior stuff because I was taking too long and being too like you know what I mean they're yeah, like yeah. why don't you go inside and work on like the detail stuff uh-huh. but I totally can see the relationship of like you know that um, but when I was looking at some of that work I was thinking of artists like Ken Price or mm-hmm. uh, Alex Dodge and I don't know if you like that kind of work that sort of but then the thing is is like a lot of times we think oh you must like this because it looks kind of like your work but you're mm-hmm. probably like you know like Agnes Martin or a, a huge fan of you know Jay Defoe or something, who knows like something that looks totally different mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um so I I this is interesting too because I I just I actually have been taking notes about this about my favorite artists and what I love and why and the art that I love definitely doesn't look like for the most part does not look like my work um, right. so like for example some of my favorites would be like James Terrell like duh right um, Oliver Eliasson uh, Tara Donovan and. I think about, I've seen all of these people's work in person, and I think about why I love their work so much, and it always comes down to the experience of seeing it and the environment that they have created. And there is, for me, just wonder. It's just, I'm just floored by it. It, There's no, like, looking at, it's it's not, I, I feel like looking at paintings can be passive, can be a passive experience where you're, you're looking and you're seeing and you're like, there's this back and forth, which I like. But the things that really like just sweep me off my feet are like full on installations, like where I am put into a totally different world. And suddenly I'm like a kid again. And it's, it's beautiful. And like, I had like so much, so much to explore and see and feel. And when I think about that, that's when I start to think about like aspects of my work. It's playful. You know, the questions that people always ask me are like, what is it? What is it made of? And so those same kind of questions, I think, overlap into my experience of seeing my favorite artists. Um, yeah. Well, what um, have you ever been in a, uh, a Kusama infinity room? I have. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. Pretty immersive. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's so funny, though, because so many of the people who are seeing your work or familiar with your work is through online mm-hmm. means where I do think you build a pretty good job at like creating an, of this sort of virtual environment that people mm-hmm. are like looking at. But I imagine nothing like seeing the work in the space, like mm-hmm. being surrounded by it, you know, because, you know, I've seen you do installations with like stuff on the wall. Like it's, it's more than just the piece or the act of making it, but that environment, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I guess it's better than not having that at all you know what I mean it's yeah. like only so many people can get to so many shows in so many spaces and that's why I think that's why it's still really important for me to do like gallery shows because I want I want to be able to have the work like be out physical in the world um, totally yeah I yeah. think it's key mm-hmm. and and, plus you also mm-hmm. make work with that in mind like if you never not you if you're never making the work in a space mm-hmm 
then the way you think about the work operating completely changes. Then mm-hmm. it's just a direct to, you know, collector experience or direct to right. whatever. And it's not like you're creating that environment that you seem to love so much, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually like that's, that's what I want is to make, I get asked a lot, like, where do you see your work going? And I don't know exactly what that would look like. Cause it's hard. It's hard to say. Um, but I definitely want to like, create continue down this like line of more more immersive more like all-encompassing you know yeah yeah that wasn't on my question list does that make me good or bad that i wasn't going to ask you that (laughs) i think good okay yeah (laughs) that's so hard like where do you what do you think you'll be doing in 20 years right i mean it's like i don't know the end of this choose your own adventure book you know what i mean (laughs) yeah it's a really difficult thing to, especially if you move organically through yes. making and change and, mm-hmm. you know, but when you do work in spaces, I would guess that, you know, cause, um, I would guess that you may be inspired by the space, correct? Like mm-hmm. if you have a, a venue where you're able to show, I don't know if you just make the work and then you just stick it in a venue or you think, okay, that's, there's an opportunity here to use that wall for the, or you know, it's it's a, a cavern or space, so I'm going to create this environment. Or, you know, is that something that you like to respond to with the work? Yes. Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, if I've given the given the opportunity, yes. Like I, I like to respond to the space. It's because there's just like it's like moments, right? Just like little little moments of potentially creating an experience for somebody. But if I, I have done shows where I don't do that because I haven't been to the space and seeing pictures and stuff like it's, it's one thing, but I think to actually have been in the space and see it to then know and react and respond to it is different than like seeing pictures and planning for it. Um, so I don't do that at every show, but that is, that's like more in line with things I want to make in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you had, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not. I should know this. I, my research. I, I have a short-term memory. Um, have you shown abroad in a lot of different places yet? Or is it something you look forward to doing more? Um, I have. I wouldn't say a lot. I've done like maybe like two or three shows in Europe. And then uh, I've and then I showed at Zona Maco, um, the art fair in New Me- uh, mm-hmm. Mexico City, um, the past two years with Hashimoto. Um but yeah, I absolutely want to show more internationally. I think, I mean, more so, I, I want to share my work with the world, but I also like selfishly want to like travel to those places, you know, oh, it's to great, like, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. When you have like that excuse, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. kind of a nice, plus I think, you know, I've been fortunate to travel a lot over the past 20 years and, and I feel like when I do go for a show, albeit there's work involved it's Mm -hmm. kind of nice because you engage with people in a different way than just as a tourist yes yes it's really nice to go and like hear people's feedback in another country where they see the work differently Mm -hmm. naturally you know Mm -hmm. um all right uh, i'm almost i'm almost gonna let you uh, one quick question is Mm -hmm. studio when you're working Mm -hmm. sound no sound interviews music what what or movies what do you do what's the input so, um, I am usually listening to audiobooks. Uh, and then 
I kind of take breaks depending on how heavy the books are. Usually I'm just listening to fiction. It's not like fiction, fiction, nonfiction is difficult for me because I really have to like pay attention if, if it's, right. you know. Um, <clears throat> so I listen to a, a lot of fiction and then I'll balance it out with listening to like The Office or It's Always Sunny uh-huh. to something light. And, like, yeah, right. yeah. But you never do music? It's really rare. I always mess around with music too much. I'll like, I'll, if I put something on, if I'm feeling music, I'll put something on. And then I'm just like, I just am so distracted by like, well, I want this other song or it's weird. I don't yeah. know. I don't no, know what that it. is. Um, well, what music do you think your work sounds like? Ooh. Huh. I know that <laughs> often freezes people. Yeah, I don't know. Um, have you you've never thought of that right i have not thought of this see i i often say on the podcast i have this problem where when i see art i think i hear music like it i instantly associate music with it so uh-huh. i'm always curious what other people think their work well what do you think my work sounds like <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know it's got a little poppy but it's a little psychedelic but it's a little it's like a mixture of that sort of stuff mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone jumps out like yeah I'll have to, have to think about it a little more but it's it, it gives me a feeling of like bright like mm-hmm. shimmering guitars or synthy stuff that's mm-hmm. a little a little out and a little weird and but yes. but but beautiful at the same time mm-hmm. maybe I'll make a playlist <gasps> I would love that do you, you do Spotify, even yeah. though you don't do music? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I do listen to music. I listen to music most in, like, the car. I have this great sound system in my car. Um, nice. Yeah. And in Dallas, you, like, you do I mean, a lot you of driving. You did a car. I saw that online. Do you have that car that you did? Didn't you do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, car? the Genesis. Um, no, I wish. That was a sweet car. <laughs> I didn't hook you up with a car. I know. <laughs> I know. No. That would be really cool. I would like to do a car, like, another another car thing that would be sweet and then like actually have the car but no right that'd um, be nice right hey just yeah. can you just give me one when you're yeah. done sorry anyway <laughs> side note um yeah so i do i mean i do listen to music and it is impor- an important thing but i for some reason in the studio it's just not the where i go okay i'm gonna work hard after this i'll do a 10 song mixtape okay of stuff that i think might be in the wheelhouse of your work okay then you could send me back. This is bullshit. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. okay. I look um, forward to that. <laughs> so well, obviously people know where they can see your work. Mm-hmm. See your work. Um, you're active online. But um, do you have anything coming up that you want to share with people? Any? Yeah. Any um, plugs? I do. So I have, let's see, this summer I have an installation opening with Meow Wolf. Um, it is at the new Grapevine, Texas location. So it's at this, it's at, they call it an experience, an experience center, but it's, they don't want us to call it a mall, but it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> an experience center. That sounds like it could be, that's, that's a, <laughs> that could be a lot of different things. Right. Um, but anyway, so that's opening the summer. It's really cool. It's my biggest installation to date. Um, I'm very excited about it. Uh, I will be doing a mini drop. So I make like these miniature versions of my work once a year and I do like this big drop online. Um, so that's coming this summer as well. I'm, it's going to be August. Um, 
I have a solo show in Portland in July with nice. Shafa's Projects, and then I have a solo in December with Hashimoto in New York. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you're busy. I'm you busy. You've got a lot of stuff to yes. keep you. <laughs> yeah. Good thing you have that studio. I know. Yeah. It can fit all the things. Yeah. No, that's yeah. great. Um, well, thanks so much for taking the time. I was really excited to talk to you. It was really great. Thank you for having me. I'm, yeah, I'm excited to like, I'm going to go back and listen to some of your other episodes now that we've, now that we've had this conversation. I, I won't promote myself, but I do think there's some pretty good people that I've been fortunate enough to talk to. So, okay. yeah, but I'm glad that, that you took the time out. Thanks. Thank you. is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by checking out soundandvisionpodcast.com and images on Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. You can support the podcast by leaving a rating or review in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also support it by getting the book from the Sound and Vision Podcast, Why I Make Art. It's available wherever you get books by Rishikesh Hereway of Song Exploder. It's got lots of great quotes from artists, some features on 30 artists about their work and life. It's even got some sketches from the Sound and Vision sketchbook. I think it should be a good source of inspiration for artists in their studio. You can also support the podcast by supporting the people who support the podcast. Check out Golden Artist Colors. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. That's all you really need. Some paint, some coffee. I mean, if you're a sculptor, I guess you need some other stuff, but hey, it, it covers a lot of the bases. We got some great guests lined up for future podcasts, so make sure you stay tuned, subscribe, and you can even check out the YouTube channel, which is now having some older episodes uploaded to YouTube, and there's some shorts in there with some animated features of artists with some of their quotes from the podcast. You can check it out at youtube.com. Just search Sound Vision Podcast.